0: Hey, welcome to this time of worship. It's great to be with you and great to be with the body of Christ as we worship together. I want to encourage you as we come together and worship the Lord that you would bring your full heart to the Lord in song and in the teaching of Scripture and let the Lord really minister to you and care for you and be a good father to you. Today, we're going to be talking about the prodigal son, but we're really going to be talking about a merciful father He's the father that not only goes out and looks looking for his kids, but he also is the father that waits patiently. So I hope and pray that you'll encounter the good father in your life today. So join me in prayer as we start this time of worship. Lord, we pray that you would come and minister to our souls and our hearts. and Lord, you'd step into wherever we are this morning and that you would care for us deeply. We pray, Father, that That good father that we see in the story would be the good father we experience in our own lives today, whether we're the older brother or the younger brother, whether we have run far away from you or we're right there in your house. Meet us, Father, and bring us into the banquet and let us feast on your grace and your goodness. So come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it and his hand formed the dry land. So come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. We are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care.
1: And now let's sing together as we remind ourselves that our father is good and that we are loved by him. Oh, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like. But I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night as you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone a good good father it's who you are it's who you are to you are and I'm loved by you it's who I am it's who I am it's who I am oh I see many searching for far and wide, but I know we're all searching for answers, only you provide cause you know just what we need before we say a word, you're a good, good father. Yeah. that you are a good father to us, that your heart is for us, that you do not leave us alone where we are, but you come to us, and you draw us to yourself. Lord, speak to us now from your word, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.
2: Hey Midtown, my name is Brant Bonetti, and I teach over at our East Nashville congregation, and I'll be opening up the word uh, for you today. So I want to start off by asking a question. What do you feast on in your life? For example, when this whole quarantine situation started, spam sales in America went up by thirty-seven percent. So I don't know what people were thinking that the spam would run out, but there were some people who really wanted to feast on spam during quarantine. I'd be curious to know if you were to check your app usage history, what app have you been on the most? Is it your news app? Is it Facebook? Is it Instagram? And there's something that we get off of our phones and out of those apps, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it tells us something about what it is that we feed on and feast on in our lives. And the passage that we're in today, we're going to be approaching it from that perspective. So as I read it, I want you to to listen and to be asking yourself the question, what are the sons in this passage feeding on? And then ask yourself the question, what kind of feast is their father laying out for them? Because that's what we're going to be talking about today, what the sons in this passage feast on and the feast that their father prepares for them. So if you have your Bibles, open up with me. We're going to be in Luke 15 in the parable of the prodigal son. It might be better called the parable of the gracious father, but we will get to that in a little while. So this is Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So we're gonna start by talking about what the younger son in this story was feasting on. And we're gonna start in verse 12. It says, the younger son said to his father, father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. This is one of the most insulting things that a son could say to his father. It's basically like he's gone to his father and said, I wish you were dead. And all that you have, I want my share of it now. And then he starts going around liquidating his father's assets. Right? His father wasn't giving him cash out of his bank account. He was giving him literally pieces of the farm. And the son goes around and is selling pieces of the farm out from under his father and his brother. And then he takes that cash and he gets out of town as fast as he can. He's insulted his father, his entire community, and he's left it all behind. And why would he do something like that? What has this younger brother been feasting on? Because this isn't a decision that comes out of nowhere. And what's been going on is this, this younger brother has been Already, before he ever asks his father for his inheritance, he's been feasting on a life that he imagines that's available to him outside of his father's house. That he's got a whole fantasy world of ways that he wants to live that he assumes are going to give him joy and life, but he knows that he can't pursue that life while he's still living as a son of his father. And so he decides it would be better to trade all of all that he has being a son in, cash it all in so that he can go out and pursue Uh, this life of, of chasing down pleasure. He's trying to find himself and a new identity for himself out in the world separate from who he was created to be, out from the loving embrace of his father's arms. And the scripture tells us that what happens to him is that all of the cash runs out. We see it in verse 13. It says, Not many days later, the younger son gathered up all he had and took a journey into a far country And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Then in verse 14, And we'd spent everything. A severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And the passage doesn't tell us what the younger brother spent his money on. The older brother later says, charges him with spending it on prostitutes, but we actually have no idea. What we know is that he spent it all, that he ran out. And then in that place of already being desperate, a famine arose in the land. And there was no one to give this young man anything to eat. And so he takes a job that's the lowest of the low for a Jew. He's feeding pigs. And it says that he longs to be fed with the food that the pigs were eating. That's how desperate his situation had become. And in this moment, this young man comes to his senses. And he realizes, my father is such a generous man that even the servants in his house eat better than this. And in that sense, the famine was a kind of a kind of kindness to him. Because what it exposed for him is that what he had given his heart to feasting on actually was leaving him hungry. That instead of uh, this feast of joy that he had imagined outside of his father's house, what he found was famine, literally. And that literal famine woke him up to a spiritual famine that he was experiencing in his heart. So we'll come back to how how he responds to that. But that's what the younger son has been feasting on. And this passage also tells us really clearly what the older son is feasting on. So we're going to skip ahead, into the, skip ahead in the story to verse 29. The father has thrown a party for his younger son to welcome him home, and the, young, the older son, he, he refuses to go in. And this is what he says to his father. Look is the first word that he says. It's like he's saying, listen up. Man, that is only something that you say when you've had a speech that you've been planning in your heart for a long time. And this is how he goes on. He says, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. What that tells us is that this older brother, the whole time he's been at home working for his father out in the fields, has been feasting on comparison between himself and his brother. He's been feasting on the the self-righteousness that has come to him. He's been feeding on it, thinking about it, going over it, over and over and over again, comparing himself to this younger brother, building himself up and tearing this younger brother down. And that comparison has started to warp everything that he sees in his world. It started to warp his view of his father, even to warp his view of reality. Because the father tells him, all that I have is yours. Remember he split the inheritance and both of the sons had already received it. He already owned all the animals on the farm and yet he's telling his father about all the things that he hasn't given him. That his, his comparison has warped the way that he sees his father and the world around him. And in addition to feasting on his comparison, man, he's serving up that feast with a healthy side dish of bitterness and resentment. And when I think about my life, I, I could talk for days and days about the different flavors of that feast. It's like a freaking Baskin Robbins in my life. Or like Jenny's with those little sample spoons, you know, where you go by one by one. And I just want us to dip our, our sampling spoons into a few of the of the flavors that uh, that comparison can taste like in our lives. Like, do, do any of you ever, in your social media accounts, uh, check out friends from high school? And if you do, the Maybe, maybe you have a better heart than me, but isn't that sometimes because you want to see somebody whose life looks like a train wreck so you can feel better about your own life? Man, that's just dipping our toe in it, right? We could talk about all kinds of ways that we do this. A lot of us, it's through our skepticism. That we love to, to, in our minds, create distance between ourselves and the world around us, to look at people, to judge them, and to think about how we're so much better than them, right? To, to tear down the things that they're excited about or that are happening in their lives and to adopt this skeptical mindset. We do it with politics. Oh, we love to look at people who believe things that are different than us when it comes to politics. To contrast ourselves with them and then to make up all kinds of stories about what people out there are like. And man, the church, oh, the church is a great place to practice this kind of comparison. We love often in the church to talk about what people out there are like. We do it with the people who sit with us in church when we used to sit in church before all this started, right? Like, oh, I know what that person was doing this weekend. And we can even do it with other churches. Oh, well, here at Midtown, we would never do Fill in the blank. Uh, at least at, at Midtown, we're not like. And those are all just different flavors of this comparison, the same feast of, compare, of, of comparison, the same feast that breeds bitterness and resentment in our lives. Because what's true about comparison is that it's a ruthless taskmaster, that once we start comparing, it's something that we have to be incredibly committed to in our lives, We have to be constantly building ourselves up and tearing other people down because otherwise all of that judgment is going to fall on ourselves. And that's what this older brother has been feasting on. The parable ends with this really kind of sad picture of the older brother standing outside of the party, scraping his spoon around the never-ending bottom of his pint of comparison. And the question is, will will he go in? Will he go into the party? But we have got to talk about the feast that the father lays out for his sons. Because we are all so familiar with the reality of being a younger and older son. But what is often so hard for me to grasp, and I think for us to grasp, is the, the grace of the father and the feast that he lays out. So that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about in this passage. So go with me to verse 17. This is talking about the younger son. It says but when he came to himself he said how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread but i perish here with hunger i will arise and go to my father and what we see in this son coming to his senses is that he's remembering how gracious his father is that even the slaves in his father's house have more than enough bread but what the son does even here is he underestimates the grace of his father And we see that in verse 20. It says, when he arose and he came to he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And guys, it's hard to communicate how much of a shock this idea would have been to the people who were originally listening to Jesus. To think of a father grabbing his robes and pulling them up around his knees and running out to meet his son and hugging him, that's something that never would have happened in the ancient Near East. Jesus is giving a totally different picture of a father to the people sitting around him. Fathers never would have hugged their sons like this, least of all a son who had left them and wished that they were dead. But this father, God as our father, is a different kind of father. He's a father that upon his son's return, gathers up his robes, runs to meet his son and falls on him with the biggest hug you can imagine and starts kissing him. There's so much love that the father has for his son. we get this picture even that the father was waiting, that he saw the son a long way off because he was waiting for his son to come home because of the great love that he has for him. And then he calls the servants and he says, bring the best robe in the house, which is the father's own robe that he would have worn only on very special occasions. And he says, put that robe on my son. And what he's doing is this son, when he left the village, left full of shame. He had brought all kinds of shame on himself and he deserved to be an exile from his community. And there's no way that this community is going to welcome this son back in because he not only insulted the father, but he insulted them. And so what the father chooses to do is say, he chooses to take this, this best robe that, that communicates all kinds of honor. And he has that put on his younger son. He welcomes him back in. And then he gives him a ring. And this is a ring that would have allowed the son to seal contracts in the father's name. Think about that. A son who had proved himself untrustworthy in so many ways receives the, f- the freedom and the confidence of his father to now live again as a full-fledged member of that family put sandals on his feet. There's a guy who was walking around barefoot because of the poverty in his life and the father gives him more than he ever could have imagined. And then he brings him back through the village. This is kind of implied in the story, but the people listening to Jesus would have been picturing how this would have played out in their own villages. That after covering the son with so much honor, the father would have led him back through the village to their house and everybody in that village would have, rec- would have seen that this father was restoring his son. And all those people in the village are people that would have been invited to the party that the father decides to throw. He says, kill the fattened calf. This is a calf that the family would have been over a long period of time preparing for a feast. And the father says, this is the feast that we've been preparing for. It's my son coming home. And he invites everyone to it. Later we find out there's music, there's dancing, there's amazing food. It's a beautiful, huge party of celebrating the restoration that the father has given to this son. That's the kind of feast the father lays out. Man, that is such good news. Maybe for you there are things that uh, this, this virus, the quarantine, has exposed in your life. Maybe there are addictions that have come roaring back. Maybe there are addictions that you've tried to, to press down and keep hidden, but living in such tight quarters has forced to the surface. Man, do you know your your father welcomes you home? There is, no, there is no way that you could live that your father would not welcome you back in with open arms. And maybe you've been apart from God for a while. Maybe you've never even thought about faith as something that would be central to your life. Man, the father's message is the same. Come, come, let me embrace you. That's the kind of love the father has for his sons and for his daughters. But the father's love isn't just a love for the younger son. It's also love for his older son. And that is such good news too. Like we talked about, the the older son is standing outside of this party that his father has thrown. And that he chooses, because of the, the feast he's been giving to himself of comparison and bitterness, to stay outside of that party. And his father hears that he's standing outside. And the father goes out to plead with his son to come in. This older son has really been doing in much the same way what the younger son did earlier in the story. He's harbored contentment and hatred in his heart toward his father and all of that has finally come spilling into view but the father's reaction to that is to go out and to speak graciously to his son. The father says to his son, son, you were always with me. All the time that you spent in the field laboring out of of bitterness, he says, I was with you that whole time. I'm still with you. He says to his son, all that is mine is yours. What he's communicating to him is, your brother coming home doesn't take anything away from you. It doesn't take anything away from my love for you. It doesn't take anything away from your inheritance. You still have all of that. What he's telling his son is, your brother coming home is a joyous thing. It's something that increases the joy and the love of our family. It doesn't decrease it. And he's begging his son, would you come in and would you partake in that joy with us? He's inviting his older son into the joy and generosity of his own heart. And that is a gracious, a kind, a loving father who would do something like that. Because what my comparison does is it keeps me from the party. It makes me on the outside while everyone else is on the inside. That's the only thing that comparison can bring to me. And the father goes out and he's graciously wooing his son to come into the party. And whether you're an older son or daughter or a younger son or daughter, we also got to talk about what happens when we get into this party that we're going to. Because the reality is, is that once we get in, we also have to learn how to be good at partying. That's a part of what it means to embrace the gracious gift of our Father. And think about this in my own life. That when I uh, was a freshman in college, I, was, I went to my first 90s party. Okay? I, I was really bad at partying. Because growing up, I had only listened to Christian music. We can talk about that later, that's for a different conversation, okay? But I didn't know any of the songs that anybody was singing. All of my friends are yelling at their top of their lungs and I had no idea what was going on. I remember having someone ask me, do you know any of these songs? And I did what anybody would do in that situation. I lied, of course. I was like, well, yeah, of course, I'm just singing quietly. The first thing I did, when I left that party, I took off my windbreaker, right? And then I went to iTunes, which is what we used to do between the gap of CD players and streaming music, and I bought the song Mbop and Kiss from a Rose because there's nothing more embarrassing than all of your friends belting a ballad and you having to try to move your lips like you know what's going on. I had to learn, okay, I had to learn how to, how to be part of a party. And that's true for us when we walk into the party of God's grace. Man, some of us, when we're younger brothers, we come into the feast and, and there's something in us that thinks that we're doing the Father a favor by sitting on the sidelines. We kind of sit there on the edge of the dance floor with our arms folded, scowling at everyone on the dance floor because we think that we're proving to them how sorry we are. That's not what the Father wants at all. He's out on the dance floor. He wants you to participate in the freedom and the joy and the grace of what he's given you. I mean, some of us as older brothers, oh, I could talk about this all day, what it's like to be an older brother at a party. You know, there's that guy who does the worm across the floor, but he's not very good at it. The older brother is the guy who watches that and and is is judging it the whole time. That's missing the point of the party, right? The point of the party is for, as an older brother, to, to learn how to dance to God's grace yourself, to feast at the table of God's grace yourself, because you can't be a glutton on God's grace. So the invitation is, would we come into the party and would we learn now this entirely different way of living? of embracing the feast that God has thrown for us, for his children. And what's beautiful about that is as we become really good at partying, we also become really good at helping other people learn how to party in God's grace. That we need that from our community, from other brothers and sisters teaching us and showing us what that looks like. And what we find is that at the end of the day, we're all younger brothers and and older sisters and and older brothers and younger sisters that we all have tried to find our identity apart from God that that's warped our humanity in all kinds of ways but what we also find is that we all have a gracious father who is welcoming us us into a party and would you be willing uh, to go on that journey of becoming an amazing partier with God in this time let me pray for us Father, we thank you that your grace is greater than we could ever ask or imagine. More that we're going to spend our entire lives uh, learning what it means to party and we're still not even going to know the half of it. And Father, we look forward to seeing that and understanding that more fully when we see you face to face. But in the meantime, would you teach us to be a community that embraces uh, the feast that you've laid for us. A feast of mercy, a feast of love, a feast of love. And would you teach us to be good and welcoming partiers? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Now let's sing again as we confess our need to the Lord. Would I come? This is found. This way. Would you teach my song to rise to you When temptation comes my way When I cannot stand, I'll fall on you Jesus, you're my hope and stay Would you teach my song to rise to you temptation comes my way. When I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Oh, Jesus, you're my hope and stay. this confession together. O Lord, I am no rare object of valuable price, but one that has nothing and is nothing. Although chosen by you from eternity, given to Christ and born again, I am deeply convinced of the evil and misery of a sinful state, of the vanity of humans, but also of the sufficiency of Christ. When you would guide me, I control myself. When you would be sovereign, I rule myself. When you would take care of me, I suffice myself. When I should depend on your provision, I supply myself. When I should submit to your providence, I follow my own will. When I should study, love, honor, and trust you, I serve myself. I fault and correct your laws to suit myself. Instead of you, I look to man's approval. I am by nature an idolater. Lord, it is my chief design to bring my heart back to you. Convince me that I cannot be my own God or make myself happy, nor be my own Christ to restore my joy, nor be my own spirit to teach, guide, and rule me. Help me to see that grace does this by providential affliction. For when my reputation is good, you cast me lower. When riches are my idol, you cast them away. When pleasure is my everything, you turn it into bitterness. Take away my wandering eye, my curious ear, my greedy appetite, my lustful heart. Show me that none of these things can heal a wounded conscience or support an unstable frame, or uphold a departing spirit, then take me to the cross and leave me there. Amen. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. So, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. The love of God. When I was your foe, still your love for me. You have been so, so good. felt no worth, you paid it all for me, you have been so, so kind. deserve it, still you give yourself
3: Close out our uh, time of, of worship and read you a benediction uh, passage from Numbers six. This is a passage that uh, we read often at the Creef Hall congregation, and um, as Brant was talking about, that uh, our hearts are often prone to feasting in the wrong places uh, to get our identity. Uh, I pray that uh, that this passage would close our time reminding you um, that our hearts were meant to feast on the reality um, that we are sons and daughters who belong to a good father. Uh, And he has given us his name. He's placed his name upon us, and we we bear that name, and we walk in the strength uh, and the peace and the grace and the confidence uh, that comes with that name. So receive this this priestly blessing that was given to Aaron and Moses um, to place on the Israelites so they wouldn't forget uh, who they are and whose they are. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And so they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Go uh, knowing that you have the face of your father
2: uh, and go in his peace.